I want you to take God's word with me, please, and turn to Isaiah chapter 28 this evening. We're going to look at several different portions of scripture. I want to share with you some of the things I believe the Lord has revealed to us over the last three days in prayer and fellowship. Oswald Chambers once said that prayer does not equip us for the greatest work. Prayer is the greatest work. Did you catch that? Prayer does not equip us for the greatest work. Prayer is the greatest work. There's no work greater than prayer. Because if you don't pray, all of your other work accomplishes nothing. If we do not pray before we preach, our preaching accomplishes nothing. If we do not pray before we go out and evangelize, our evangelism accomplishes nothing because it is the Spirit of God that saves. And unless we pray, declaring our dependence upon Him, then it's all a waste. And there are many things that the Lord has revealed to us over the last three days and spending that time together in prayer. I've always felt it appropriate to start the beginning of the year in prayer and fasting, declaring unto the Lord that we need Him, that we cannot face what lies ahead alone. And uh, that's why I stressed before we went on this prayer and fast that even if you can't make it, I believe that every godly man should be involved in this prayer and fast. And to not be involved in it shows that you don't see the importance of it. I don't mean being there bodily. Some of some couldn't because of work. But uh, to at least recognize the importance. Each day the Lord showed me a few different things, and I'm going to struggle to share all of them with you, but I've tried to hone in on one thing from each day, and uh, Paul tried to give give my sermon earlier, but uh, that's all right. But on day one, the Lord spoke many things to us. Repentance was one of them. One passage that really spoke to me was this passage in Isaiah 28. One of the brethren shared it. Look at it with me, please. Verse 1, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord hath a mighty and strong one, which as a tempest of hail and a destroying storm As a flood of mighty waters overflowing shall cast down to the earth with the hand. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim shall be trodden underfoot. And the glorious beauty which is on the head of the fat valley shall be a fading flower. And as the hasty fruit before the summer. Which when he that looketh upon it seeth while it is yet in his hand he eateth it up. In that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people and for a spirit of judgment to him that sitteth in judgment and for strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. We spoke much on day one about that day and that expression in that day is often referred to uh, a day of judgment and the earth and mankind has often experienced the judgment of God. But when we think of that day of judgment that is coming, 
and we think of all the things leading up to it, we recognize that in the events leading up to that, there are many judgments of God being poured out upon the earth. We see that in Scripture. And oftentimes, the judgment of God upon the earth is giving the people what they want, taking away men who preach the word, giving them teachers because they have itching ears. And we find in this text that in that day, this is speaking of a day of, of adversity that Israel was going to face with the Assyrian army. In that day of attack, listen to this. In that day when God's people feel oppressed by the enemy, there are four promises that he, the Lord of hosts, will be for us. The Lord of hosts is an amazing title. It's not one used too often. The Lord being Jehovah, the self-existing one. The Lord of hosts is a reference to a God of an army, an army of angels, military term. And this God, this Lord of hosts, will be four things to us in that day. And if you're not careful, you'll be swept away with worry in this day in which we find ourselves. And we're given four things that he will be to us. Number one, a crown of glory. Now, the enemy has a crown of pride. The contrast is God will be to us a crown of glory. He is our glory. Now, I remind you that the world and the enemy looks upon us and hates us and despises us. But God will be to us in that day a crown of glory, representing, signifying, we shall rule and reign. And for a season and for a time, we be oppressed. As Paul writes to the Corinthian church, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. But in that day, in that day, he, God, shall be for a crown of glory unto the residue of his people. Not only that, but he shall be for a diadem of beauty. So glory signifying authority, a crown signifying authority and power, and a diadem signifying beauty. At the same time, the world uh, hates us. We're despised by the world and, and we're the most despicable thing in all the earth, but not in that day we will not be. In that day, the world shall look at us in great envy. He shall be for a diadem of beauty. He shall be, in the next verse, for a spirit of judgment. Think about that. To him that sitteth in judgment. He shall give us discernment and wisdom in that day. And oftentimes we're frightened. And I was asked several times by many different people over the last three days, uh, what, are you, what, are you, what are you praying for? Is the Lord giving you any, any vision or direction? And I said, I don't know. I'm just seeking God. And I believe in that day, he shall give us the judgment that we need. 
So don't, don't worry if you don't have all the answers right now. Don't be concerned if you don't have it all figured out because in that day he shall be for a spirit of judgment to him that sitteth in judgment. And the last thing is the one that really struck me. The fourth thing he's promised to be for us is he shall be for strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. The people of God. Let me, let me remind you the first song we sang tonight. Onward, Christian soldiers. Soldiers. The army of God is offensive. We are on the offense. Not on the defense. I remind you that the Lord of hosts is our God. And therefore, we are already winning. So we are not retreating. You've heard it a million times. I'll say it one more time just for the sake of it. But the armor, the armor of God has no armor for your back. You heard that before? There's no armor for the back because God does not expect you to retreat. No turning back. No man who puts his hand to the plow and looketh back is fit for the kingdom of God. No turning back. And I say that to old saint and to new believer. No turning back. Especially as we have this promise that in that day, as nervous as you might be and as shaky as your knees are, in that day, he will be the strength you need. And not just any strength, but the strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. I like to imagine to the enemy's gate. We turn the battle and chase them to their gates. You've heard before that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Now, in case you forgot, gates are not living. They don't move. They're stationary. And so we will fight against the gates of hell. We will guard the gates of hell. C.T. Studd said, some want to have a chapel within a yard of heaven. I want to have a I want to have a mission, a rescue mission within a yard of hell to rescue the perishing. And so there's strength for them that turn the battle to the gate. For those who take up the standard, for those who raise the banner high and say, come on, let's go. This was the first day. There are other things, but this was... Something the Lord impressed upon me. On the second day, look at Acts chapter 6. In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. (coughs) Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. 
And on day two, Paul made mention of this. The Lord impressed upon us the importance of giving ourselves continually to two things. Somebody once asked Spurgeon, which was most important, reading the Bible or praying? He responded with, which is more important, breathing in or breathing out? We will give ourselves continually to be given to something is huge. To give yourself to something is a massive decision and a, a matter of huge importance. But to give yourself continually, you can give yourself to something for a short period of time, can't you? When I played American football, I gave myself to the game for those four quarters. And then the game was over. And even today, I think, why did I do that? It's over. But to give yourself continually means from this day forward, I have given myself to something that I cannot take myself away from. Continually. To two things. Number one, prayer. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer. We spoke of this need and this neglect. Would you look here for a second? Church, we do not pray like we should. We don't. And that might offend you, but it is true. It is true. You say, you don't know me. I don't, but I know myself. And I know that I don't pray like I should. And thus I can conclude that you don't either. But we find over and over in the word this command to pray without ceasing. Paul said in Romans 1, without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayer. He wrote to Timothy, without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers, night and day. Think about that. Praying night and day to the church at Thessalonica. He says, we give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing. In chapter 3 and verse number 10, Paul said, night and day praying exceedingly that we may, might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Night and day. Look here, when was the last time you prayed at night, all night? When was the last time you got out of bed at two or three in the morning to pray for a brother or a sister? Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. I believe with all of my heart that the church cannot move forward unless she moves forward on her knees in prayer. It's easy to say that. It's another thing to do it. That was impressed upon us. All of us felt our inadequacy in prayer this week. All of the men who gathered together felt deeply that we just don't pray enough. The other thing 
that the Lord showed us on day two, we shall give ourselves continually to prayer. And then these apostles, these chosen ones for this calling, not only to prayer, but we will give ourselves continually to the ministry of the word. And it's encouraging to see see this in some of the men that God has called. And you can see it. When God calls a man, he puts this inside of them. That there is nothing else that they can speak of but the word. Nothing else. The Lord really convicted me about putting an emphasis on his word. We quoted that passage, the Lord gave the word and great was the company of them that publish it. Handel put that to music and uh, one of his selections of Handel's Messiah, the Lord gave the word and great was the company of the preachers. And it began to be shown unto us that in these, in this latter time, in this, we believe this latter rain or this latter abundance, whatever you might want to call it. We believe that there will be a great company of preachers. And it's, we're beginning to see a bit of that here. May this just be the beginning. But a preacher is useless unless he has something to preach. And that which we preach is thus saith the Lord. Now can I just remind you just quickly the preciousness of God's word. Now we have lost a reverence for this book. This is the eternal word of God. We spoke about how every one of us have a copy, probably more than one copy of this book. We talked about how the apostles didn't have what we have. The prophets had almost nothing. We talked about one of the prophets in the Old Testament when the, when the Torah was given, how, how it changed the whole nation when they discovered those first few books. And here we have the completion of his word in your home and it's about time we discovered it again. Because there's one thing that changes a nation and that's the word of God and much prayer. We have neglected his word. Psalm 19 is a beautiful psalm. It speaks entirely about the word of God. Even the first verse, the heavens declare the glory of God. In a sense, they are preaching the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork and day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. All over the world, every human being is hearing, hearing a message being preached just by the creation that is around us. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. And all of this is just an introduction to what we find next. The law of the Lord is 
perfect. Converting the soul. Literally, uh, you get that down to that the law of the Lord, the teachings of God are perfect. Converting, bringing life, restoring the soul. Would you like for your life to be restored? Converted? It will never happen unless you open this book. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Thank God for that. I'm a simple-minded man, but this, the testimony of the Lord, His Word is able to make a simple man wise. The statutes of the Lord are right. And watch this. They rejoice the heart. Are you depressed tonight? Are you discouraged tonight? Has life dealt you a bad hand? Open the Word of God. Because the statutes that are unchanging in this book will bring joy to your heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Do you feel like you just don't know what's happening in the world? Do you feel like you're blind? You can't really see? You, can't, you know something's not quite right, but you can't understand it all? The commandment of the Lord is pure. It cuts out all the dross. And gives you a kind of a vision and enlightenment in your soul and mind that was not possible before you opened this book. I, I oftentimes open God's word and think to myself, I've read this a million times, but never have I seen this. Amen. I've been enlightened again. And it's a constant enlightening. My soul should be growing brighter and brighter as I read his word. Watch this. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Do you fear the Lord? The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Now here's what he says after speaking about the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the judgments of the Lord, talking about the word of God. They are more to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Look here for a second. Meaning there is more worth and value in this book than all the gold of Fort Knox and the whole world combined. Did you know that? You might be the poorest man financially living under a bridge or in a city bus, whatever it may be. But if you've got his word. Now, look here. I'm ashamed to say I very rarely view it like that. But it is more precious than gold. And its worth and value is greater than gold. And it is pleasurable. It is sweet. Sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. How many times have you read the word and it has just flooded your soul with joy? Even now, I feel, I said it earlier, I feel like a little mouse running up and down my spine. That's only God's word can do that. Glory. 
Only God's word can, can satisfy the tasting and hunger of your soul. Only God's word is sweet to the taste. Moreover, even more than that, more than its worth and more than its sweetness, moreover, by them, meaning by the words of the Lord, thy servant is warned. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. Now, it is of great worth and great value because he warns us. It is sweet to me because God in love told me that if I do not turn, I will perish. That if I do not repent, then I shall meet the wrath of God. You say, that's terrible. No, no, no. That is the sweetest thing I've ever heard. That God would love me enough to tell me that I am headed to an eternity of hell. Oh, sweet music to my ears that there is a, a remedy. There's a redeemer. <laughs> by them, moreover, by them is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret things. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Look here for one moment. There were several times this week when one of the brethren said, it must please the heart of God to look down upon this little gathering and see his people praising him and to hear his people opening his word and taking serious his word. It must really please God. Would you like to have the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart to be acceptable in the sight of God? Then let it be filled with his word. His word. I could go on, but I don't have the time. Psalm 119, I read it yesterday and thinking about the word. And many of you know that Psalm 119 is a chapter that is filled every single verse bar two with a direct reference to the word of God. And the other two are, are continuing reference to the word of God. But I've circled every time a reference to the word was mentioned in Psalm 119. And I filled up two pages, four pages in my notebook of verses from this chapter that the Lord revealed unto me. And perhaps I'll share that another time. But today, the last day of our prayer and fast, there were two things on my mind. And I want to, I don't want to rush this, so please be patient with me. Two things One is that we must learn to give thanks. Patty spoke about it a moment ago, but we were we were in awe hearing our brethren speak of how the Lord has saved us. And we had men on our on our on this prayer and fast who were raised in Christian homes and they were preserved by God's grace from a life of sin, kept from it came to know Christ at a young age, never drank, never touched a drop of alcohol. That's the mercy of God. 
a miraculous testimony. Then we had men on the other end of the spectrum, a little bit rough and wild. And the Lord plucked them out of that and saved them. Both are trophies of God's grace. Both are miracles. As Patty said a moment ago, if you've been saved tonight, you are a miracle. Amen. You are the evidence of a miracle. Your salvation was a miracle. And we can't forget that. We cannot forget it. Woe unto me if I forget His grace upon me. Woe unto me if while in eagerness I go to pray for something else, I forget what He's already answered. And so give thanks. We talked about the church. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and we'll spend the rest of our time here. We spoke about the last days. In 2 Timothy 3, this is consistent. To, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, a young preacher, and he is describing the characteristics of the last days. And it's very interesting that the characteristics of the last days described by Paul here are not blood moons and red heifers and earthquakes and tsunamis. The characteristics of the last days are described by looking at the church. Now that's consistent with the writings of Peter, with the writings of Jude, who both speak extensively about the last days. How do we know that we're in the last days? There has always been perilous times, hasn't there? I guarantee you that the Christians under the reign of Emperor Nero surely thought they were in the last days. I can believe that the Christians beneath the reign of Bloody Mary under the Marian persecutions thought they were in the last days while they watch their leaders burn to the stake here in Oxford and all over this nation, I'm sure they thought they were in the last days. Or those, those covenanter days in Scotland, I'm sure. I'm sure they thought they were in the last days. But the real defining marks of being in the last days are, here's a good chapter. This know also, that in the last days, perilous times, dangerous times shall come. Why? For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Now, he is speaking about the church. There has always been men who loved themselves in the world. Man has always been covetous. Man has always been boastful, proud, blaspheming, disobedient, unthankful, unholy. But in the last days, this will describe what is called the church. That the church will look like the world. That's when you know you're in the last days. They will love pleasure more than God. 
they'll have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts. No offense, but can I just say that many who are deceived today by much false prophets, many false prophets and false teachers, oftentimes there's a great number of women following. We're told that here. Don't get, don't throw anything at the women, okay? But it is one of the signs. And, and you look at the millions that follow some of these heretics, blasphemers, who are sending their money. I met a woman here this summer who came. Her and her husband were separated. He's a Muslim. She was once a Muslim, converted. She started attending a church on the other side of town a few years ago. And it was one of these prosperity, health, wealth, and prosperity churches. And she began to sneak the hard-earned money of her husband because the pastor demanded that the people gave more so that he could buy his new cars. And they did it. And here sat a man, a former Muslim, now a professing atheist. Here sat a man on this field and said to me, I don't want nothing to do with Christianity. In fact, some of you may remember, he came into the chapel the day that Robert and Charmaine were married. And in an awful temper, talked about how all preachers are robbing people of their money. He sees it. Many who are deceived can't. Ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these resist the truth. Look here. In the last days, there will be men who stand behind a pulpit like this, wearing a suit like this, who will actually resist the truth of God's word. And suppress it. And instead of preaching thus saith the Lord. They preach thus saith the pastor. But. There's a series of four buts here that I love. But. They shall proceed no further. When you get discouraged by what you see happening in the church. Remind yourself. They shall proceed no further. For their folly shall be manifest unto all men. As theirs was also. But. There's your second one. Thou hast fully known my doctrine. My manner of life. Purpose. Faith. Long suffering. Charity. Patience. Persecutions. Afflictions. Child of God. And especially minister. Of the word. May we be able to say, Thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, my patience, my persecutions, my afflictions. That's the contrast of a false prophet with a true messenger of God. 
what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Here's the next but, third one. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Here's the last one. But continue thou. You don't worry what everyone else is doing. You don't worry. I don't care if every other church bows the knee to Babylon. But thou continue. But continue thou. Continue what? In the things which thou hast learned and have been assured of. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that goes beyond just the apostle Paul. Knowing that they were learned, they were taught to you by the Holy Ghost. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Can I just say something? If you've learned anything, let it be from this book. Then you'll have a fixed point of reference. My pastor taught me, no, no, no. Uh, great, good. But make sure that this is this is the ultimate point of reference so that no matter what happens to me if I die or if I fall God forbid but your faith be not shaken because you've known what you've learned all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine that's what you believe for reproof that's to get after you. You ever need to be reproved? I hate to be reproved. Let me be honest with you. I hate to be reproved. But I need it. And the word of God sometimes like a two-edged, double-edged sword pierces my heart and soul and reproves me. Only God's word can do that. The word of God is profitable for teaching us our doctrine. It's good for reproving us. And it's not just good for telling us where we've gone wrong, but for correction and telling us how to get it right. And for instruction and righteousness, telling us how to keep it right. Now that's what God's word is able to do. It's able to tell you what we believe. And it's able to tell you when you're wrong, tell you how to get it right, and tell you how to keep it right and live right. But if you're not reading this book, you miss it that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. These are just a few thoughts that the Lord has given us this week. There are others. Others, but we'll stop there. It, it would do you good. I, I don't know your schedule, and it would do you good to fast regularly. I cannot ever mandate for you to fast because otherwise it's a waste of time. But when the Lord impresses, that was something else uh, the Lord really dealt with me about. When God really impresses something upon your heart, you better obey it quickly because that feeling, that impression may go quickly. It's, and more, it's more than a feeling, but that prompting of the Lord may leave you and, and you then lose the motivation to continue. But if you strike while the iron's hot, if you begin to mold the clay while it's still soft, then you'll get what you need. But if you put it off, 
If the Lord prompts in your heart, uh, He did that this week, listening to some of the brethren, He put in my heart, get into the Word more. Man, I took the Bible out yesterday and spent some significant time in the Word. Came back and He said to me, get on your knees more. So I went out as quickly as I could. Spend some time with the Lord. Let us respond when He speaks. Maybe He prompted you to fast. Maybe you weren't able to fast the last three days. Well, then start tomorrow. Spoke with a brother recently, and he said to me, Where I come from, I never hear of fasting. Oh, I hear, I know it's in the Bible, but our ministers have never encouraged us to fast and never speak about fasting. Jesus said, When ye fast, not if, when ye fast. Not if. When ye pray. Not if. When ye give your alms. Not if. It's an expectation. May we move forward from strength to strength. And I believe truly that something special will be born out of these three days. I believe it. I believe it's already been born. We have yet to see the fruits of it. But I believe we will. By God's grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. We thank thee for thy Holy Spirit. We're thankful, Father, that we can pray and we can enter into thy presence. We're thankful, Lord, that there are times when it it pleases you to enter into our presence. I pray that we might know more of those moments. Give us a tenacity, Lord. Encourage us tonight to believe that the Lord of hosts is our guide. Encourage us tonight to believe that we shall be given all that we need. Judgment in these days, discernment. We shall be given strength that we might turn the battle to the gate. Oh, Lord, please encourage us. We thank thee, Lord, for the brethren, for the body. I mean by that my sisters and brethren. Thank thee, Lord, for this family that you've given us, how dear it is, how special it is. We're thankful, Lord, for how you've spoken to us about thy word, the necessity of upholding and cherishing this book. Oh, Lord, may we never, ever speak of it lightly, treat it lightly. Help us to never neglect it, Lord. May it be to us the most precious possession on earth. May we never neglect the prayer room, Lord, the prayer closet. Time in thy presence. Oh, give us a deeper hunger for thee, Lord. And may we acknowledge that in these last days, the church will not be what she should be. But help us to continue. To continue in the things that we have learned and been assured of. No turning back, Father. Solidify these things in our hearts and minds. Help us to give thanks when we look upon our brethren. May we be caused to praise thee when we shake a brother's hand or hug a brother's neck. When we see a sister who once lived in such sin. May we be, may we be made to see them, Lord, as you see them. Trophies of grace. We thank thee, Lord, for these times and pray that these would just be the beginning 
Give us faith, Lord, to believe that the best is yet to come. In Jesus Christ's name we pray.